What is it to be human? What is it to truly live in wholeness within oneself and with all other life on earth? Welcome and thank you for tuning in to One Voice with Samaoma. My name is Samuel and I am the Samaoma tree, which function is to embody and root the connection between heaven and earth by sharing the voices of humanity. This is my gift in supporting the evolution of human consciousness. In this episode of One Voice, I speak with my good friend James Hart. He is a truth seeker that understands the many aspects of society, and in a beautiful way, he is able to see how it all plays harmonically together in a great symbiosis of the one giant thing. We speak about the importance of family, being a parent, yin and yang, and what makes a human fulfilled in life. I have great respect and admiration for James, and it is my honor to share his voice. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Hello, James. I'm sitting here with James, a good friend from Australia that I met. I got the fortune to meet in Sweden seven years ago when I was 18. Can't believe it's seven years. Seven years ago, bro. Jesus. A lot of things have happened. Both of us have grown, and um, we're currently in the UK. Outside of Ringwood, where I'm visiting James and uh, and his family, consisting of his wife Julia and his two children, Elaria and uh, and Anthony, how does it feel to be a father? Feels awesome to be a father. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love being a dad, and um, I think people are missing out when they're not having kids, and uh, yeah, the. The later you have them, the more you're missing out. Yeah. How old are you now? 47. You're 47? Wow. 47. You've lived a long life already. <laughs> but yeah. you look like you're 30. Yes. You're staying young. You're a vital man. You're a, you got a lot of energy. and. Uh, the Tao of Health, Sex and Longevity by Daniel Reed. This book, book, this book, yeah, I started following the um, some of the things in that book about um, food combining and things like that. So, I think it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you grew up in Melbourne in the seventies, eighties, and uh, mm. since that you've been living in many places across the world. Live, uh, yeah, in Sweden, where I met you. Lived in Brazil. Lived in. Um, Boston, lived in Russia a little, lived in Greece, lived in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. So you would say all of these places have lived in England <laughs> into the one you are today. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Always changing. Yeah. yeah. Was there a big, uh, when you grew up in Australia, in Melbourne, because it's, it's very off now, it's down under, it's underneath, down under. It's the, <laughs> yeah. It's very isolated. Did you have a? Did you want to go away, like to explore other parts of the world? Yeah, was there yeah. A strong urge to do that. I think so. Mm, my parents are from Europe, and um, I always had, yeah, a curiosity to travel, and then I traveled a lot when I started. Once I started, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I've been a traveler. I finally thought I was going to go. Back to Australia and never leave again. And I was like, I'm done traveling. And then COVID happened. And then COVID happened. 
and mm. uh, that is the main reason why we are here in the UK. Mm. I'm glad because it's closer to where I am. But mm. uh, yeah, you've been uh, you've been on the road with your family since. Uh, since yeah, Christmas, we right? took off in the middle of the night, um, and we uh, drove out of a red zone four hours into the next day. Yeah. And we had to um, hide where we'd come from. And as we drove north, the areas we left kept turning red. So there was no turning back. <laughs> uh, wow. We kept getting forced further north until we ended up a few thousand miles north. Up in somewhere north in Queensland. In Queensland, yeah. We went as high as Noosa from Melbourne. Wow. Which is a long way. And then suddenly way. there was no further north to go. So you went on a flight. Oh, you could keep going north. There's a lot more country north, <laughs> actually. But no, we just, um, yeah, we have friends in uh, areas around Queensland. We're hanging, hanging out there. Yeah. yeah, and then we just decided that, um, yeah, the in Australia, they wanted to vaccinate everybody for no matter what job you had. Um, there was just a... Uh, um, couldn't move between states. Yeah. So it was easier to meet an Australian family friend or friend, uh, you know, in Europe than it was to meet them in Australia if they were over state lines. It's uh, difficult for me, especially as a Swedish person, which was Sweden was fortunately pretty very open and none of these very harsh restrictions were. Mm-hmm. Implemented so difficult. It's difficult for me to imagine what went down in in Australia, but uh, from my understanding, well, we're so lucky that Sweden did that because by not locking down and and not overreacting, it's a kind of like a control group that showed we didn't have exponential deaths. We could have done what Sweden did. Sweden, yeah. everyone didn't drop da- dead in Sweden. There wasn't it wasn't a particularly remarkable amount of deaths, and you can't even see on the all calls data that. Sweden had a pandemic in 2020 or 21. So, um, yeah, it was good that Sweden did that for the world to see, for Europe to see. I know there were other places in America that did it, but I think Sweden got a lot of attention. Yeah, mm. it's been a few very interesting, <laughs> very... It's a lot of change going on in the world right now. But you... So when I was 18, you already then, you opened up my mind in, in several ways by showing me in ways the system mm. is corrupt, dysfunctional, and uh, very unfair. And uh, gaining, yeah. a, gaining a few p- people in the top elite are gaining a lot from it, while mm. most of the world is being kept poor. And uh, there's a lot to say mm. about that. But you've been following your own path, and like you've been questioning society, and a lot of things we take, a lot of us take for granted mm. pretty early on, no? Yeah, yeah, I've always, um, well, when I was in um, uh, high school and university, I was very much a conformist kind of person. And then um, and then I decided to um, get into investing. And so I started studying a little bit the basics of currency and money. And then I realized, oh, shit <laughs> there's a massive uh there's a massive lie in the middle of this yeah and um so that kind of started my journey to uh waking up a 
against um, against uh, some some pretty stupid parts of a system. But then I also learned, you know, the, my first reaction was really um, very strong because I'm suddenly thinking, oh my god, these people are allowed to create money out of thin air, and that totally flipped me out. And then, uh, and then I kind of went on a rampage trying to <laughs> warn family and friends and stuff, and some some listened, and uh, and but others really kind of almost find it annoying. And I guess, I guess it can be. And this was quite a few. This was before. 20. This was this is in like uh, around two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. With the crash that came in two thousand. Yeah, and uh, even before, and I started studying banks in 99 and 2000 yeah yeah so then i uh, then i just became a big gold bug and i started putting all my savings in gold and trying to um kind of like almost you know economics 101 lecture put inserting gold in there as as a as a uh, topic of and and the and the theory around um, supply and demand relative to gold prices. So when you're looking at commodities and other things, um, you compare them to gold prices to kind of get a truer picture of supply and demand. Because when you're looking at it in uh, US dollar or Australian dollar terms, you're you're not really you're seeing the supply demand picture a lot more fuzzy because um, you know, there's an, there's very low interest rates, so there's kind of an endless supply of new money, yeah. and that's kind of throwing off the actual story the of supply and demand. It's very distorted, and at this point, it's extremely distorted. Right, and when you look at it with the gold prices, and then you compare the distortions between something that's a little bit more um, reliable, then you see opportunities. Yeah. And then you say, hey, this is cheap, but it, but it, but it looks expensive. Yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. It's a crazy time we live in, no? And uh, <laughs> how does it feel to raise a family in this day and age? And um... Um, Well, I mean, we had to bring our children away from Australia for the time being but otherwise i mean it feels great raising the family wherever we are we seem to be uh, thriving and um having a good time but yeah i definitely want to um uh you know be near family my parents and look yeah. after my parents if if they if they want me to um so yeah i feel like proximity to parents is fairly important to our family yeah. and um yeah but everything's been going good moving yeah, around from my experience your yeah. children are really really amazing <laughs> antonio is five six months and he's the chillest baby i've ever he's very chilled out he's very chill dude and Ilaria is full of energy full of life and yeah super cute <laughs> and very curious yeah. yeah 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 no it's great i love love being a dad just unbelievably rewarding yeah 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 Yeah. and um, why do you think it's important for humans in general to be parents 
Yeah, I think as an organism, we are born as um, parents. I mean, you are, even before you're a father, you're a father. And even before you're a mother, you're a mother. As in your organism is a parent. That's what it's designed. It's designed to reproduce and then to be a parent. And so our whole biological system has been, um, you know, is... Uh, primed to parenthood and um, so I think that um, you know our our generation has kind of like always tried to delay being a parent you know we've got aeroplanes we can fly around we can have have a lot more um, party time and people feel like they don't want to miss out and 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 there's this stigma or myth attached to being a parent that it's um that your life kind of like um is stopped or has to be limited and that you may be missing out if you become a parent too young whereas i actually think you're missing out yeah you know um when you're not a young parent cuz i was not myself so i think about that and um and I think about all things that led my mind to, to think like that. I was exactly this kind of thinker that was um, was uh, thinking I should delay it. Um, of course, you have to find the right person. So you do delay till, till you find the right person. But there's that just general kind of messaging, I think, that comes through a lot with um, television and, like, it's a... It's a lot more... People want to influence you to give up power, right? Because then there's some advantage to them to do that. And especially when you um, when you highly organise through a corporate system or a government system, um, those systems, they want you to be dependent upon them or, um, or at least um, uh, needing them uh, to some degree or wanting them. So um, I think that this is very much something that uh, corporations and governments do. They appeal to our youthful youthfulness, a youthful mind, and the youthful mind doesn't want responsibility, doesn't want duties. It wants to play. It wants to consume. Yeah. It wants to borrow money. Yeah, it wants to, yeah, exactly. It doesn't want to have duties and responsibilities and think about security and uh, worry about... Um, self-defense even or anything like that like you know you want to play you don't want to even talk politics because you you want to play because you believe that someone else that's and just we've nature to believe that someone else is going to take care of us like in the western world our governments are going to take care of us they're going to save us from everything especially in in sweden yeah so we don't have to take responsibility yeah potentially i think sweden um ha- you know sweden has a lot of um you know, the yin energy is the youthful energy and the yang energy is the parental energy. And so the land in Sweden being frozen is a yang energy in the sense that it requires a lot of responsibilities and duty yeah. to live on the land without dying or without um, freezing to death. So the, um, the Swedish land <clears throat> has a fairly strong... A natural um, uh, pulse mm. to make the Swedish people 
comfortable with duties and responsibilities because it's necessary to survive there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, but all humans have. And, you know, we we're we're born children, so we have the yin yeah. energy to be um, playful and not want duties. So I guess Sweden and places that are cold, maybe they have a more natural balance because um, you have those two kind of natural forces. Yeah. Whereas you know, if you're living in a place like a, a jungle or near the ocean, See, Bali. And, yeah, Bali or well anywhere where you can get easy food from the jungle or easy food from the ocean yeah. and um, or it's sunny you're not going to freeze to death every year you don't have to prepare for for a cold winter well uh, those it's easy to be more playful all the time there the land isn't forcing you to have duties and to be responsible so there's no yank pressure and so it's it's a lot easier for those places to be more party and more yeah. more yin youthful playful yeah uh, maybe can be too much like that. Yeah. 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 So it's the balance. That's what it all goes back to between the right and the left, between the yin and the yang, between exactly, the day and, yeah. the, and the night. Yeah. And uh, finding out the character of those balances, I think, is really key. Like understanding that we're born into youthfulness, which is a yin, and then the duties and responsibilities is a yang, and understanding, well, if we have our natural yin, where are we going to get our yang from? Either our parents are going to be giving us duties and responsibilities or the land is going to be forcing it on us. Maybe you grew up in the country and and you had a lot of duties and responsibilities to live off the land. So you're getting that balance. But a lot of people who maybe live in apartments or live in the city and everything's coming through Uber and and um, or, or their parents are paying for things or they're getting everything is covered for them they might have they can delay delay responsibilities or they're they're not having children till after 30 they're delaying delaying responsibilities and and we become that, weak in that yeah you can become unbalanced in that sense that you've got playfulness yeah. coming naturally as a child but it's not really getting uh, met with um, in the some kind of parental duties and responsibilities kind of energy so and um yeah and this is what our fathers are here to teach us no it's the responsibility it's it's kind of the the god aspect of it because we are yeah we are here as god we are here as co-creators to take responsibility of this earth but we're not we're we're pooping on it and well, we're doing that we are doing it on our yeah own. i think um i think everything is going fine i don't think we're pooping on it really too much i mean i think you know the earth needs us um the earth i see is like an organism so the earth needs us and it needs us to think for it and and uh, maybe we need to build a a missile to shoot down the next asteroid to protect the earth you know, so the the earth needs a thinking capacity. So I like to think of the earth as as an animal, yeah. a unique kind of animal. Yeah, one organism. One organism, yeah. And I mean, it's organisms within each other. So there's almost yeah, infinite yeah. organisms, but yeah. altogether, it's one big one, the universe. Yeah. But on the on the planetary level, 
you know, the rocks are like bones, the trees are like lungs, the rivers are like veins, the earth is like a stomach digesting, and the, the moon is pulling and pushing the ocean like a pumping heart. Yeah. And the wind is like breath. Mm. And so, metaphor. yeah, the... But it's literal I see as well. It. It's literal, yeah. The, the, the earth is an animal and and the humans on it are as well as the animals and as much as trees think and all that everything the thinking dynamic of the planet is the is the thinking organ of the earth and so um uh yeah obviously we want to try to live in harmony with that and not poop everywhere but i think that um you know uh I think that uh, we can do that, and uh, you know, a little bit of poop for as as a as a price for thinking power is actually uh, the Earth is quite happy with that for now, and I think it um, you know in terms of hundreds and thousands of years, the Earth is old; it can handle uh, our mess, yeah, so to speak. yeah, so I think um, uh, I think everything is always as it should be. Otherwise, it wouldn't be that way. How could it be in any other way? Yeah, and so yeah, I'm I uh, I'm at peace with how everything is at all times, kind of thing, and yeah. and it's more kind of like thinking like that when something goes down, more raises questions. Like if it surprises me, like why did it surprise me? Why didn't I expect that? Um, what don't? What am I missing from the puzzle? Rather than oh, it shouldn't be like that. No, I don't think it shouldn't be like that. I think it should be like that. And why don't? Why did? Why didn't I see it more clearly? Why? Why was I surprised? Any time I feel have a feeling of surprise, that's a signal to me that there was something in my worldview that was that wasn't um, entirely. Uh, um, uh, thought out, you yeah. know, it wasn't it was imperfected worldview, and so I'm getting surprised because my worldview didn't have that event covered, and so every any time I feel surprised, it's a really good signal to me. It's oh, okay, let's introspect here and figure out how I can um, I- integrate this event into my worldview, and what else am I missing? Um, so, yeah, I think surprises are really beautiful blessings because it, they tell you that, uh, they give you clues about how you can change yourself to be better yeah. whenever you feel surprised. On a personal level, on a societal level, on a, on all levels, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, if you were surprised, if anybody's surprised. Your children suppo- surprising you with a new behavior. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. In a way, any, any kind of surprise. So it, it, what's built into the surprise is that your worldview wasn't uh, fully integrated for that event. Yeah. So, um, and then that gives you the, uh, the clue to help yourself. Mm. What creates wholeness in a human being? Well, I think um, the balance of yin and yang, if we're talking about wholeness, I mean, people can uh, live when there's abundance. People can uh, stray 
from maybe being balanced because there's a kind of savings that they can draw upon with their unbalanced and your mistakes can be covered for a while or your lack of energy but if you're going to have a wholeness that means I guess that you are having a um, a, a strength and a um, a, uh, a capability to keep security and stability so this is what I think of as, as wholeness and uh, in order to now maybe people don't want wholeness but but in order if you do want wholeness then then I think you've got to balance yin and yang energy which is um, and you have to understand what what yin and yang is is you know so sim- simplistically you know yin is youthfulness and yin is internal and um, yin is um, very often feminine energy and yang is external and yang is duties and yang is hard and so um but yeah there is obviously those kind of energies in everything there's a yin and yang stirring in everything which is giving it its kind of state and um so um yeah, but as a person, if you want wholeness, if you want to maintain your state uh, or uh, to balance your state so that you've got strength and um, uh, security, uh, you know, I think happiness is a side effect of strength. So um, it's difficult when you're sick to be also happy. I mean, yeah, of course you can. But like strength and gratitude... I think are the kind of um, this the core of happiness. So I don't aim at happiness myself. I aim at strength and practice gratitude, and then happiness should just be a side effect. I don't have to try for. Yeah. But if I just aim at happiness, then I'm kind of like it's a hollow aim because I've missed. Am I doing gratitude practice? Am I am I focusing on making decisions that keep me in a position of power and strength and my family. So, um, yeah, happiness on its own doesn't say strength and doesn't say gratitude. So I think don't aim at happiness, aim at, aim at strength Because it's to confuse gratitude. happiness with pleasure. Yeah. So what a lot of people, symptoms of humanity, we derive pleasure rather than happiness, but we mix them up. So we go consume, we go shopping infinite, mm. endlessly. We we do all the different types of mm. abuses, drugs, food, mm. whatever, in order to derive that pleasure to fill that empty place in our in mm. our hearts and our bodies, mm. and uh, makes us weak as well. Yeah, can do. Um, I don't have anything against kind of like hedonism and aiming at pleasure as well i think that's good too i just think um you know like people often say i don't as long as you're not hurting anyone you know you can do what you want well yeah but also as long as you're not hurting like children and as long as you're keeping a stable home for children because i mean i think um i think one of the big things of history is that monogamy has worked so well and 
the the cultures that practiced monogamy had stronger children and then they then they excelled compared to all others and um and i think that's a pretty solid um solid lesson of history that monogamy has worked really well for children and then if it's good for children and you have strong children then you have a strong house and then you have a strong town and then you have a strong city so and people who want to change the world and have some kind of political impact on the world, I think they should first think, how can I be a good father? How can I be a good mother? How can I... Because you got something to focus on right there. You don't need to go outside to fix it. If you improve the life of your children, if you give them stability and love, you know, and, and having a, a polygamous marriage... Or sleeping around, or whatever you want to call it, it's going. It's going. It's not. It, the odds are, if you look at history, the odds are that that's a difficult kind of thing to manage, and you you're you're taking the risk of destabilizing your children. And yeah, I get it. It's really hard. I guess if it's it's easy to slip into temptations, and everybody I think is this is why everybody's capable of slipping into sin. And we're all struggling with different layers of temptations and distractions and everything. So, and um, nobody's perfect, you know. That's everybody <laughs> can think they're a sinner got, like that. So, but but you you could you don't have to be too hard on yourself either. You can also say, well, I can do the best I can. But definitely, yeah, like you can focus on your children, and you're doing something for the world pretty big by giving them a solid uh, couple of decades yeah. of stability. <clears throat> and if everybody did that, then then you do you are fixing the world. You don't need to go and chant, protest, do this, do that. I mean if your if your home is I think Jordan Peterson says this, if you if you make your bed, you know, if your home is tidy, if your room is tidy, if your family is strong and if your children get two decades of love and stability, then you have helped the world in a massive way. Not only have you obviously helped your children have an awesome childhood, you have that, you know, the problems stem from the from people who don't have an awesome childhood, I think, a lot of that. Which is a large chunk. Which is pretty much everything. Like when people think, oh, how are we going to fix the world? Just make your children have strong stable two decades growing up yeah. and um and uh yeah your own children but also understanding that the father role goes beyond my own children also i don't have children yet yeah but i still i'm still a still a father to life yeah and to other children that are around me and it's like you're still a father like you've got to prepare for being a father now Yeah. And preparing for being a father is being a father. Yeah. So you are a father even without children. And the same with mothers. So that's a really kind of weird thing. Our organism is a parent. And so, yeah, you definitely are Our a father. Our organism is here to foster life. I mean, life creates life. This is what life right. does. Life creates life. And the whole concept of, you know, you know, it's it takes two people to have a baby. and And that's a little family right there. And it and and it it doesn't get more um, 
you know, aligned with your nature than that. And sure, you don't have to follow that prescription, but if you don't follow that biological setup, then there's going to be disturbances because your biological setup has got that momentum. And so if you're starting to try to experiment outside of that, you're going to have to prepare yourself for the um, uh, the friction that's yeah. going to cause yeah. from from disturbing the biological momentum. Yeah. So, you know, whether or not that could be like having children late is a disturbance of the biological momentum. Like we're probably designed to have children around 20, right? So having children at f- in the in 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 their forties, like me, it creates you know frustrations and this and that, and there are chemical rewards that are not getting released that would be getting released, and there's all this kind of stuff going on that could be causing frustrations and and angst and and disturbances, and I might not even detect what the source of that is. Most mm-hmm. people don't actually, but you know you could all, you can all, it's it's not uncommon that you turn to someone and say oh. It's, that guy was really off track until he had kids, and then he's like, "Gee, he just became sort. He just became yeah. solid because his energy was too yin." And then when he accidentally maybe became a father, <laughs> and then suddenly he's got all these duties, and it actually yeah. balanced his yin energy, and then he became, and then suddenly you don't see the problems in that person. He was, oh, that that dude has has got his shit together. This is building roots. This is, I mean, this is. It's responsibility, like having your own home, like having your taking care of your own garden, taking care of the earth, like, like mm. having a farm, like like this is it's crucial stuff, but very important. But uh, something we spoke about earlier was that um, uh, okay, actually now I forgot what it was that we spoke about earlier. Uh, earlier in this conversation, or no, another day. No, not a day. Yeah, that's right. That having children shouldn't be something radical or it's like you're doing something whoa, way out of line. It should be the most natural, uncomplicated. Right, for a for a 20-year-old. For a 20-year-old. But, <laughs> but it also goes back to that's the... That's what's kind of radical. You know, like people don't think it's radical, I guess, if you're 30. But, yeah. you know, if you're 18 and 20, people, people just assume that you don't have the mentality to be a good parent. And it's probably correct because we're, we're not raised... And to be prepared, we, we didn't have father and mother classes in uh, primary school and high school. And there is a lot to say about this, but obviously, this is the disintegration of the community and of of the the extended family. Mm. And now it's like most families are living on these isolated islands, and they're mm. all by themselves. They don't really have any support. Yeah, and they're so. I have friends in Sweden. They got one, maybe two kids. They're depleted. They're depleted. Yeah, because they don't have close family friends. Their parents don't live close really. by. Their no, siblings no, they don't have to take care help of each other. Themselves. They have yeah. to drive the kids to school, and then they have to go to mm. work for eight yeah. hours. And, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, this is why. I mean, I don't think people um, want to live in the same home as their parents, and because I think that's probably a, a very bad idea. <laughs> but I do think maybe like living in the same street or living in the same town and try if 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 a family is wise enough to have this foresight to say hey we're all gonna we're all gonna get by our houses in the same street or in the same within within walking distance or something like that 
suddenly everybody's going to be getting this energy boost and it's not going to be coming from the state it's not going to be it's going to be coming from each other yeah. and 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 the energy boost is so great that it's like you know you drop your kids off at your brother's place and you you and your wife go to dinner and dance and uh, and uh, in the morning pick up your kids from your brother's place you know so you can have a life and this whole concept of i'm missing out because just kind of vanishes because you're doing things the right way which is kind of the old way where brothers and sisters and parents are, are helping each other out you know and, and i think but to organize that you need foresight i think families should um your know, siblings should when they're growing up they should be talking a lot between each other to to um try to plan their lives to be in the same street to be in the same town if they want to harness that energy which is really it's a it's 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 i mean if you put a money value on that it's very high monetary value that you're getting that uh, not to mention that you can't even buy trust of your own brother looking after your kids versus a stranger right and overnight not a chance you'd come home at 11 or midnight at the latest yeah so yeah there's it's it's quite a um untapped wealth and there's a there's a high monetary value on that very high people don't tap into it and maybe they're going to be forced to tap into it if the you know the the forces of um the monetary world and the banking system and uh, the economical um uh, games that get played try to uh, put people under financial pressure and then that's when they maybe start living together or they have to cut costs And so one of the things you can do is you maybe you don't need to live together but just living near each other yeah. and you're making a massive saving yeah. and it's better it feels better it's awesome it's a good part I mean that's that's how we're designed to be and I've had a fortune I've, I've seen this in person in the Amazonian rainforest with the indigenous people living there yeah like each couple of parents have like six seven kids the most beautiful happy children i've ever seen and mm. they're all living in the same village so they're mm. all just within minutes from each other and the parents are <clears> so <throat> relaxed they're the most like, they don't really have to do very much because the children take care of themselves and they yeah. raise the children as a yeah. community as a as a as an extended family and there are greater mm. abuelas grandmothers grandfathers wise that, that look after as well mm. so you're not by yourself um, yep yeah exactly and, and you've got aunties uncles brothers sisters yeah yeah mm. so yeah being uh being a parent very crucial very i'm very glad to hear this at this point in my life <laughs> it's good to be around the good parents as well for me because mm. i learn yeah to prepare myself ah, for there's for no that that's the thing it's one of the things it's like how is this missing from the curriculum I think you know. I think we need to have a father class and a mother class at school, and um, I think, um, or at least you know, parents should put that on their own personal curriculum uh, to make sure that they that they factor this in, because it's like the most important duty as a parent, or one of the most important duties as a parent is to. Um, teach your children to be good parents yeah so you this is how you create this kind of nested feedback loop <laughs> where not only are you a good parent you're focusing on all the aspects of being a good parent trying to create stability trying to um uh 
you know, make sure the kids are clean and healthy and fed and and uh, and uh, growing well, learning, having good access to um, educational material that and that you need and that fulfills them, playfulness, social interactions and all this. And when the time comes, I guess, um, uh, like to teach them to be a good parent and to prepare for parenthood. And I think, um, I kind of think that some things can wait, you know, like um, that there's a kind of like coming of age around being a teenager where the responsibility becomes a lot higher for children when they're ready and they're, they're eager to take it. Um, um, but, you know, even with uh, toddlers and young children, I'm always reminding my children that that they're going to be parents one day. And, yeah. you know, my my little girl's trying to, trying to help put nappies on or yeah. she's trying to look out for her yeah. brother, yeah. Uh, making sure he doesn't bump his head and... Just little things like that to be mentoring each other, children. Another thing at school would be really good, like where are the schools where, you know, the, the, the grade three-year-olds are mentoring the grade twos and the grade fours are mentoring the grade threes yeah. and the grade fives are mentoring right. the... Giving children responsibility to look after other children... Children, but then also... Is a good practice for that. Also the earth, like all life. Mm. Like, like human life, but also life itself looking after the animals looking after like the soil looking after looking after the planet yeah yeah that's a different angle um totally i think i mean it all flows through together i think um the way i approach that is you know through the um you know looking at the earth as an organism that we're a part of yeah. so your habitat it's not just this thing this space that you live in your habitat is an organ of your bigger body. Yeah. So um, in that sense, when you start viewing the world or the earth as an animal and that you're an organ of that animal, then you're going to be naturally more inclined to want to look after it. And I really don't think that's actually a big issue nowadays. I think people want to look after the earth. I don't think there's there's been any trouble you know, um, uh, encouraging children to want to look after the animals and the earth. That's easy. No, they want to do to it. To do, yeah. So I don't think that's really something that needs to be like. In fact, I think the danger is that is that that they can that that in that that passion can be used against them politically by people who play games. And so I get more kind of nervous about bringing up the topic of oh we better look after the earth a bit because there's so much politics around that which is um which is really just kind of like um parasite politics and so they will use your passion for um you know wanting to look after the earth against you and your children you know so i think um I kind of, I kind of get more, but but it's more as you say, as we are an interconnected organism. Looking after the earth is is looking after myself. Is looking after my local, local environment and just understanding. It's more an understanding that I am a part of everything. Yeah, and the organisms, like we said, that the earth is an organism, but the organisms are happening, like the matryoshka doll, 
right? A doll within a doll within a doll. Yeah. And so you can see there are organism mechanisms that are like your family is an organism. Yeah. You can think of it like that. You can then say my street is an organism and all the people living on my street. Yeah. Then you say my town is an organism. And then when you start thinking of breaking things down like that, obviously you're going to be cooperative in that sense because you're cooperating with yourself by helping your street be better or your town be better or your city be better or your nation be better or the world be better. So, yeah, this way of thinking of incorporating the world around you into yourself, um, this kind of like uh, what I call symbiotica. Yeah. Everything is in symbi- symbiosis with it. works best when it tries to work in it's symbiosis the, no, with the, each there's other. No, yeah. There's no, we have to fix this or this is something wrong with this. We're, we're aligned with the flow. Of- no, I, I'm talking, yeah, the flow is there. I'm just talking about that uh, recognition that you are connected to what you're looking at yeah. outside you yeah. and, and that breaking down this connection like, um, you know, in your mind, seeing a family as an organism, seeing a town as an organism, seeing the earth as an organism. When you're breaking things down, seeing your habitat as a part of yourself, yeah. and when you're breaking things down like that, that the has naturally good side effects where you don't really need to do much too much yeah. more um, to, to harbour on about it. But I think the biggest risks with, you know, the language of climate change, the language of let's look after the earth. I think the risk at the moment is that the politics have taken over so much of that language. And there's a lot of power power involved in yeah, controlling. Controlling power and the, a lot of the content that you're going to find when you just innocently go searching for that, it's going to um, uh, channel you into a kind of a cattle cage uh, if you're not careful. And... Um, and also so, victimization, and also feeling of powerlessness. Like, mm. oh, there's nothing I can do. It's all going to shit. The climate mm. is changing, and we have, and and it's like instead of empowering ourselves to really step into responsibility and like yeah, taking care of our local community and, and and the greater earth, we're a lot of people that I know also are feeling helplessness and powerlessness. Mm. That, Oh no! The the ocean levels are going mm, up, mm. and the temperature is rising, and mm. it's all gonna go to shit, basically. So we have to trust the politicians. We have to trust the the higher authorities to guide us and lead the way for us to be saved. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's. I think uh, there's a lot of risks and pitfalls in that path. I think. Yeah. Um, um. I think. Yeah, people probably would do better to focus on their own family, to focus on your own children, to have a relationship with the earth. Maybe you're gardening, maybe you're, and you know, obviously that does, you know, it, it yeah, it's tw- it's very valid for people to to have those sentiments. And but I just kind of think what you're doing is you're jumping. If you're thinking of the organism layers, like the onion where you, there's yourself and then externally to yourself there's your family and then as you keep going, the, the street, the town, the uh, the city, the nation, the earth and then so you don't want to maybe like jump and try and solve the problems of the city if you haven't really worked out your individual problems 
or if you haven't worked out your individual plus family problems and then individual plus family plus street problems. And so it's like when your personal energy maybe shouldn't be too overly focused on the outer layers of the onion if the inner layers of the onion have got issues. So first get the inner layer. And then when you're strong, you can help others. So they see, first you make yourself strong, then you can be a father. Then you can have children, have a family. But if you yourself aren't strong, you're going to have a wavy, unstable family home. You know, how the hell is a person who thinks like this going to be having a good impact on a city, let alone the earth? So I think if people think from the bottom up like that, may how do I make myself healthy, strong, centred? How do I make my family healthy, strong, centered? How do I make my town? And then it's going to work like that um, from the bottom up energy. You can't just be failing yourself and and yet at the same time being a hero to others. It's kind of doesn't really make sense. So if we shift shift our focus to the (laughs) to the greater to to humanity. What's your inter- interpretation? What, what do you see? What's the current state of humanity at this point uh, compared? Well, I think that there's um, there's always a war going on. There's always multiple wars going on. And that's the nature of humans is that there's con- uh, not just humans, it's probably the nature of life is that there's this, um, there are battles going on and there are wars going on. And I think that... Um, uh, there are great forces uh, always fighting, and you maybe you live in a place where there's no war, but there, if there's not a hot war with with you know physical friction aggression, then there's a subversive war where it's coming more like an infiltration war to give you bad ideas or, or propaganda to turn you against yourself. So there's always a war, and it's important to I think to in order to have strength, you have to be. Uh, have this mindset that there's always a war and you know when your children pass the coming of age you should teach them that and I don't think you should really teach your children that before there's this playful time for children where they should be shielded from politics they should be shielded from you know the big bad ugly world kind of thing and then they come of age which is basically the taking on of responsibility when they're when they're willing to take on responsibility uh, in a greater way. And it's that's the time when they start to learn about the the you know, the war that's always going on between good and evil, you might say. And in this sense, I think all organisations are um, corrupt and all organisations are angelic at the same time. So every group, even every human in yourself, you've got some corrupted elements of yourself and you've got some very angelic elements of yourself and it's the same as you go and look at any body of people or human system you're going to find that they're you know the banking teller she's a lovely person and she's doing a good job and she's not stealing a cent and then but then maybe the banking ceo is lobbying to you know take an extra fee and uh, all maybe monopolize something together where we can regulate to uh, steal some more something you know so 
there's every organization I think has got um, good angelic elements and corrupt elements within it. So I think that there's the war is actually it is happening on an organizational level, but it's also happening. It's it's a war almost between the energies of um, of uh, you know each individual's personal corruptions and not you know i would also see it from an internal a war against ourselves a war against our own yeah nature yeah there's a war against ourselves i think when 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 you say that what makes me think there's a war against ourselves internally you have your corrupt elements and your temptations that and and you know maybe that you are weak on some things and if there was only the opportunity you would probably fall into a hole and then other people have done that. Maybe they worked in a company and they saw the chance to steal, or they saw that, or they, or, or they, they saw that they would get away with it because they had ten right. others with them, because and that they was all very well organised. And they, we're, we're not going to get caught. But this is how we can, or whatever it is, or maybe it's just cheating, or whatever it is. Right. You, you've got the possibility to sin or to, to be corrupt in every individual, and it's, and it's quite difficult to be. <laughs> to resist the temptation especially if you never get tempted one way is to maybe just uh, never allow yourself to be tempted and then you can think well I'm such a good person but actually if you ever were thrown into the pit of temptation you probably would fail (laughs) but because you never were you didn't fail and you think maybe I'm good but deep down I think people know whether they would fall for those things or not beautiful songs the lowest in your heart right we've been guided or we've been enforced loss from outside in in many different ways also the some make sense some not but the law is in our heart mm. ultimately and our heart knows and um, yeah the outer world is uh, ultimately a reflection of of our inner world our mm. inner state our inner energy mm. we take care of ourselves we take care of our family just that is fueling a lot of love that then just like, emanates into the world yeah into the rest of society Uh, but it seems like a lot of humans are really miserable at this point fueled with depression anxiety and antidepressants and uh, fear a lot of fear obviously as the past three years have shown with covid and uh, yeah i mean it's a good story about fear is the garden of eden and the garden of eden for me resonates really well to think that you know we can live in the garden of eden which i kind of see as the organic world where we're following nature and and then our fear is this serpent that comes along and says oh but you might get sick you might get a cold you might pass on a flu you might get infected or or if you don't do this this might happen if you don't do that and then we eat from the tree of knowledge which is really like the the tree of knowledge i think is kind of this you know sometimes it's great the tree of knowledge and sometimes it leads you astray and 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 the tree of knowledge might be hey take this vaccine or hey have this surgery or hey do this and and um you know you're listening to the serpent of fear when you take that fruit and then when you leave the garden of eden it's very hard to get back because one thing causes a side effect for another thing which causes a side effect for another thing and then you get stuck in a kind of matrix maze outside the garden of eden and you don't know how to get back there and the and the way to get back there is to stop eating the pills or to fast and to breathe 
and to do you know a cold therapy <laughs> and to be to, present yeah just to you know to st- garden of eden yeah. stuff it's to stop eating that fruit from the tree of knowledge stop taking this human mm. um these human pills or these human solutions for your health and draw upon the 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 god's gifts the uh, you know the fresh air the ocean an apple to eat <laughs> Yeah. you know the very simple things just also, yeah yeah close. like tra- so you're going to deduct and so you go back to deduction you deduct away because sometimes you might need that uh, that tree of knowledge you know whatever it is you might need that surgery but then you got to get back into the garden of eden really quickly um and so it's a very hard balance and it's very easy for the serpents out there to try to even bring us out of the garden of eden when we didn't need any any of those fruits from the tree of knowledge at all so um i think wim hof breathing is a really good um healing technique and i think cold therapy is very good and i think um you know trying to eat things in their simple form i also like mono kind of eating uh, where we're just kind of eating one thing in the meal not mixing too many ingredients just eat one ingredient for a meal um those kind of on fasting right um so i think for returning to the garden of eden there's a whole bunch of those tools which are trying to deduct um so you can get out of the maze because it can get quite complicated you know yeah you take one pill and the mate feeds the mace serves one purpose but then it causes constipation so then then i take a constipation pill and it serves the constipation but it causes drowsiness and then i take another pill to combat the drowsiness and then you're in a matrix which is also the matrix of how do you get out of it yeah yeah fear matrix of fears and whatever but you're in a physical matrix of health because you've got to untie that those chain reactions of 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 all those symptoms and and causes Uh, so returning back to the garden of eden for me is um trying to yeah fast and um do wim hof breathing and eat simple things and drink uh, clean water and don't have anything complicated like a soft drink or a a weird hamburger (laughs) or whatever (laughs) you know but i do all those things as well but it's like i i'm i'm just saying when someone's in a point where they want to return to the garden of eden those are the that's what it means to me to return to garden of eden and i think there's a lot of things in christianity not just the garden of eden but that for me the stories resonate as as useful symbols like for for example the garden of eden and then um you know, we were talking before about interconnectedness, but for me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to me, is the Son is the individual, my body, me, and the Father is everything outside of me, right? Which is a yang concept. It's the external. The yin is internal. Well, the yang is the Father. The outside of your body is a Father because it's the outside. That's why it's called the Father. It's called the Father because it's external to you. And the Holy Spirit and the internal is an internal thing and that's your dream body when you go to sleep at night and your body's flying around yeah you could think of the holy spirit as being the feminine energy because it's an internal energy but i think of that the father the son and the holy spirit are three in one how are they and that is god but it's me and it's kind of confusing well it makes perfect sense to me because the son is my incarnate body and 
the Father is everything external to me and the Holy Spirit is the internal dream body that I experience when I go to sleep or if I'm if I meditate or or you know during the day I guess that thoughtfulness internal thoughtfulness is the Holy Spirit and um, so there's a lot of I think um, I think that uh, Christianity has done such a good job in its stories not in its bureaucracy which is often the case with all as in all organizations have got corrupt and and angelic elements between them and but i think um the story of jesus being a healer and um uh and helping uh, helping p- people with different stories of basically like a kind of archetype of kindness and generosity and strength as well and uh, vigilance and and uh, and then there's these um practices or you know um within the christian story uh which actually do reflect very perfectly for me how the world is and um are good uh, tools for helping with um, understanding the world and to be balanced. I think Jesus is, is a kind of great yin-yang balanced story or energy uh, archetype because, you know, you've got, I think the Old Testament was was too yang, it was too harsh, it's the harsh side of nature, the Old Testament, where God is God is an earthquake and God is a thunderstorm and God is vengeful and he's punishing just and it's got to do with you know if you don't fast then you're going to get sick and god is going to be vengeful against you because you didn't fast and that's why you got sick but actually it's trying to teach you to fast but it's a very harsh um narrative and then jesus came along and he balanced out um the 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 old stories by bringing a, a lot of feminine qualities perhaps by bringing the law into his heart into yeah. the heart because the old testament yeah is based on the outer laws like i know a lot of jewish people and uh, and there's 613 laws and rules that you have to follow mm. and they most of them i mean they kind of make sense and they have the possibility mm. of opening the heart and connecting you but most people are doing them out of fear and uh, of being punished or out of fear of, mm. of yeah the authority following the authority yeah of out God. of obligation yeah yeah but coming to that place where we follow the heart which is the law and then suddenly it all makes sense you know? yeah well, i think that jesus brought uh, mercy and compassion. he brought a, a lot of feminine qualities to the story and kept the the yang masculine qualities of the harshness of of nature and um and the authorities you need to follow if you want to avoid getting sick and um and and uh, the other pitfalls so i think that jesus um became this balance as a story that um it's a very it's got a lot of balancing harmonics in it that are are very worthwhile so i wouldn't want to I know a lot of people kind of like attack all religions and whatever, but I think that uh, there's a lot of wisdom. I don't know much too much about all religions, but um, I think that 
for me, I get a lot of wisdom in Christianity. I mean, look at the Our Father prayer. Your father. No, just the the, the prayer. Of, it's just, just such a nice prayer, you know. Um, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You know, like, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, this is kind of like the laws of nature. Yeah. That they are what they are. And then, um, give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses so that I forgive those who trespass against me and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Yeah. That's such a good thing to repeat to yourself, you know, to it's have an forgiveness I mean, and to give me my bread, to say thank you yeah. for this day, I need this bread. And then and uh, to, to keep bringing forgiveness into your mentality. I mean, if people are going to be repeating that over and over again, I can only see good things coming from that. And, you know, when you talk about back to humanity, your original question and, and like... Remembering what, what it is to be human. How do we reconnect? And how is... What's this war going on with humanity and how do we... How do, how's it going to um, resolve? You know, it's kind of like... it. It's up to... It's up to the... Um, for there to be a resonant frequency of of morality and goodness, and and it's not clear what morality is, you know, all the time. So um, having it's up to individuals to have um, a standard of morality that's pretty high. That means that these institutions can can lean towards being more um, healthy and good you know rather than creating loopholes for corruption so i think um you know when people um when when the average person maybe in a in in certain town where there's a certain level of morality it might be harder to pull off some of these crimes because you can't count on that you can't count on these people saying no to the bribe or saying no to the temptation because they or they might or they might just not even be they might be willing to forgive themselves anyway and and still not go along with your plan so having these um standards of morality in people makes it a lot more difficult to run kind of a, a, a corrupt game and this is why it's so crucial to implement this and to teach this to your children very early on because if you don't have that as a child and you grow up it is possible but it, it is more difficult to learn these things later that's on right life. and why not take stories that are already um that the curriculum that's already there and it worked so well so you know i don't think you have to accept the corruption of the institution of different churches but also don't throw the baby out with the bathwater there's a lot of good content that's already there in the story of jesus christ and um i think it's like yeah very very unwise just to kind of say oh i'm an atheist and blah 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 these guys people are dumb and they think that there's a little man in the cloud like it's really straw manning what the the quality of the content the the spiritual content is actually quite strong uh you just have to know how to see it and how to use it and maybe yeah you know don't get too caught up in a um 
very uh, in the details. Yeah, too much caught up in the details. Try to try to take from the story um, the best parts, and um, and it's already ready for your children. You know, I mean, you know, make up your own Our Father prayer if you want or whatever but you know there's one that's already made and it's pretty good and it seems <laughs> hey you make up one of yourself yeah, yeah. I, I mean i do also have my own prayer so yeah. fine but i was just saying that there's there's content there that works really well you know the father the son the holy spirit it's a good there's of course it's not just three bodies like we said there's infinite bodies depending on how you look at the layers but it's good just to have a little thing says oh there's an external there's me in my body yeah. and then there's my dream self inside and okay, now I understand how this whole system is yeah. from not just the earth, but the whole universe, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Got it. It's one of the tools <clears throat> to, to develop our psycho-spiritual, like uh, the as psycho-spiritual aspects mm. of ourselves. And um, it seems as we threw out the baby with the bathwater, as we did mm. during the Renaissance and, and later on within industrialization, we also... We threw out God. God died, as Nietzsche said, and uh, perhaps where we are today is an extent, a prolongation of that mentality of losing our connection to the source, to God, and to these to these teachings that have been that have you we've been using as frameworks to mm. to connect us. Yeah, the challenge I have for people who think God doesn't exist, which I think is quite. Um, unobservant and you know you stare out at the world and you find everything connected and unless you can find a pure vacuum which you can't and it's been searched for and you don't find it it just further um, uh, demonstrates that you're not going to find this vacuum everything is connected there's only one object and we, can't, we don't even know the edges of it. But we can see from the inside out that all we see is connections. All we see is connections. We're touching the air molecules around us. There's never a gap between anything. you know. And so, and so you've got to try to come up with an edgeless phenomena. And, and when, because that's what we're observing. We're observing an edgeless phenomena. And when you admit that, then you are admitting God. I mean, you've got this gigantic being and it's, and it's got all these layers of uh, kind of an org- organisms um, and, uh, you know, biological function and thought and mind and spirit and song and language and, that we have through humans. So we're seeing that it, this thing is talking. This thing is, yeah. how is it not God? It's like, it's a gigantic this, being, encompasses yeah, I mean, the whole universe. This, the, this life is the greatest <laughs> mystery of yeah. it all. How could we not? perceive how can you not feel the mystery how did we even get here how did i get into this body in this time in this day and this age yeah i mean i'm more coming from the fact that you know you're, you're staring at god all the time yeah it, the, the de- denying that god exists means you have to come up with finding a how how there's more than one object you know yeah. because what you're staring at is connections 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 and therefore you therefore you've got to concede logically that there's only one object and uh, and then once you do that you know it's a biological object and you have god you know it's the it it, it encompasses everything that you can possibly yeah. see and of course you can as soon as you try to define something outside of god 
outside of the universe. Well, if you're defining it and you, in an observing sense, if you're doing a scientific observation of something that you're trying to assume is um, outside of the universe or something that's not connected to this ob- one object, well, your very observation is actually betraying the connections to it, you know, because in your observation you're betraying the connections. You're actually saying, oh, but if I can see it, then there must be some kind of like connection between me and the thing I'm observing. So you're, you, you can't escape the fact that um, there is no way for us to observe something outside of God. It's everything is in it. So yeah, it's, it's, really, it's, really, it's really stupid atheism in that sense because it's not seeing. It's like saying, you know, there is no sun. It's it's right in front of you. There's a sun. Like saying there's no life. Yeah, it's like saying there's it's, no. It's, it's like objects. saying there's no trees. It's there's all, no it's sun. It's like huh? it's right there. Right it's like yeah. if you don't, if you want to say this, you can be like a, yeah. a flat earther and say there's no sun or the flu. Yeah, but it's right there, right? We're just looking at it. It's round. It's up there. It's like and it's children. It's like just absurd. And it's the, the same with God. It's right in front of you. Yeah, just absurd. The children. They see God in everything. They are God. I mean, it's it's just living through them because they're not interpreting the reality in the same way with with mental separation mm. with words, mm. and it becomes very magical. So it's growing up, but keeping this childish innocence and this mm. way of looking at the world as playful sacred and uh, interconnected yeah i mean it's interesting point because i think it's almost psychologically um it's a paradox for as a child you know when you first in the womb um you know you don't really have the concept of something besides yourself and then you're born and it slowly takes a while before you realize there's I, you know, the ego. And then you say, oh, well, this I is in here. And then out there, there's other things. And so the natural psychology is to actually not see God because you actually come from in the womb, this state of edgelessness. And then when you're born, in order to function, you need to come up with this human condition of seeing yourself as an I and as separate from your habitat, which is very functional. And uh, it's, it's kind of, um, it's quite unintuitive to realize that the air molecules around your skin are actually connecting you to everything else around you. And, and realizing that you are part of the oneness around you. That part of, so it's, it's actually quite unintuitive to see God, you know, and it's only as you slowly grow that you start to say hold on a minute (laughs) i am not separate from the things around me i'm actually you know and so it is actually quite intuitive to not see god which is a strange thing you know because yeah you really you you almost have to be trained to not see to see yourself you know it's it's a milestone in a child's life to say i Oh, the final child finally realizes it's separate. <laughs> but it's actually that's a mistake, but we need to teach you that. <laughs> so it realizes yeah. yeah, it's more complicated, not a mistake, but you know, in the first iteration of understanding how you separate from the oneness to kind of live in an ego for a while, that you're actually still part of 
everything around you. Yeah. So it is really like a coming back to God when you when you start to see that. I can see your <laughs> the Greek philosopher in you. <laughs> the, the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, really, and it's not complicated. Really, I mean, it's not complicated, it's not is complicated. it? Yeah, it is. It's really not complicated, like, but it's, but it is complicated. But I don't know. It's kind of weird. Yeah, kind of weird. It's paradox, but it is the paradox. It is a paradox. Yeah, it's, Life is it's a simple, paradox. but yeah, but not intuitive. Yeah, maybe that's the way of thinking. Are you afraid of death? Mm, uh, no, I'm not afraid of death of myself. I'm afraid of death of uh the people i love around me <laughs> i mean in the sense that you know i i don't want to um be separated i don't want the s sudden ending of a journey but um i'm kind of excited when i think about my own death but i also wouldn't want to leave you know my wife or children suddenly either so in that sense i fear death um but i am quite excited about um you know, what uh, what experiences I'm going to have uh, upon death because I do think that, um, I think the phenomena of, uh, which is also, again, Christian, Book of the Dead, a, a white heaven, uh, I think there is, um, I think there is a the protocol of near-death experience where people... Um, uh, when they die, they see themselves floating outside their body. Yeah. And then they're um, flying around and visiting friends that are still alive. And then they are um, going to a dark place. And then in this dark place, there comes a white light and they follow the white light and they end up in a white heaven place where they're talking to their ancestors who have passed. And then they meet a high being of love and, um, and they uh, review their life a little bit. So I think this protocol is um, being fairly well documented. And um, so I kind of have this expectation the question really is, is that with near-death experience, people come back and so the, the documentation ends yeah. or the story of near-death ends at, <laughs> at, uh, after the, re the review of life and then people are coming back to life. Um, so I think um, um, what happens next after that is, is an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, it is a mystery, but it's also like... I sense that, or in my perception, one of the root dysfunctions of humanity and where the fear stems from, the root fear comes from our dis discontent or our, our fear of death, of not existing, of clinging to life. And um, also this is, as COVID showed, for example, how we're willing to stop living in order to avoid death. Mm. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So it's Which is a coming to that inner psycho-spiritual place of becoming at peace with nature and becoming peace just as I become became alive that one day this body is gonna die but it's not the end of the journey yeah 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 totally yeah um what time are they gonna come back 
Yeah. Pretty soon. Yeah. All right. So I would like to finish up with uh, <laughs> some very different topics on politics and crypto, and perhaps because we're short on time, just focusing a little bit on on crypto. Um, you introduced me crypto, the crypto, the economic system, and the crypto mm. world to me uh, seven years ago, and uh, it's been a very fascinating journey. It's a very in- incredible tool, and uh, I would like to ask you that's been in this game for quite some time like what is the original vision of crypto how can crypto how can a blockchain make the world a better place how can it create more justice and uh, well i think um you have to understand money to answer that question to a degree and money can uh, have kind of a variety of functions but you know ultimately um, people want to be able to trade with each other in a kind of wild card bartering system, and money ha- is that wild card that can um, mean that people don't need potatoes to to get some beef because the beef guy only wants potatoes. You know, so so we come up with this wild card system, which is basically it can be it it it's a a ledger a unit. And, and, and a ledger has a unit of account on it, units in the ledger. And so this is a way of counting. That's all it is. It's just a way of counting. And what you're trying to do is trying to, um, I mean, people exchange things because it's a gratitude system, right? Somebody gives you one thing and you're grateful and you give another. And and there's a kind of gratitude system there where you're, you are, you know, why is it five potatoes and not three potatoes? It's because there's a certain... Uh, gratitude into that into it's an the, interchange of energy the beef or whatever you're after yeah so there's an interchange of energy and there's a a, a pricing which is trying to put a number on um the exchange of value now um if there is some kind of corruption in the math there where people think they're using one kind of math but it's another then you, you you're really messing with the whole um with everybody's heads and with how everything's uh, uh, being uh, measured by by everybody. So you really need an honest um, ledger and you don't want to have a ledger that can be diluted. And so I think that um, you know people are used to, when they talk about shares in a company, oh, I've got 10% of the company, people talk in percent. You don't say I've got 500 shares in that company. It's not so important how many shares you have so how what percent do i have in it is really your share of of something and so it's the same actually with money we talk too much in terms of how much money you have whereas uh, you know our bank accounts should really be showing a percent symbol on the balance at the end yeah so that yeah so that you can see what your percent is of the total supply because if if your total supply goes from 10 percent down to five percent well you've just had 50% 50% of your share taken away from you. But, um, you know, but you can double the supply and have that happen to someone and the number of units they have in the bank doesn't change so they don't see that they just had half of their share taken away from them. So um, what blockchain does is basically delivers a verifiably honest um, unit of account, a ledger, verifiably honest ledger. And so I think... Um, there's uh, 
this has, you know, because money is at the root of so many human um, interactions, so many levels, uh, having a global verifiable ledger, global, um, you know, verifiably honest ledger is a very, very valuable, powerful thing. And um, as it also takes away the need for a third party as a bank or a government exactly, or yeah. as a central bank. To, yeah, yeah. And which, so, and it's that third party that often creates the, the corruption. Right. I mean, if you could trust the third party to do an honest ledger, it'd be a lot simpler than using Bitcoin because, you know, Bitcoin's quite, it's quite, there's quite a complex infrastructure to make the verifiably honest ledger. You've got to do a whole bunch of checks and balances to make sure that nobody has has a path to corrupting the account. But with a third party, I mean, they can corrupt the accounts in maybe a variety of ways. Um, uh, so, you know, Bitcoin is really bringing like a public transparency to the way the accounts are formed so that it's impossible really to... Um, um uh dilute the the units on the ledger and um people can maintain their percentage share in the economic activity or the economic um pool yeah and while it's also bringing the economic power it's it's this decentralizing decentralizing the power so the people that are using the blockchain and they're all having yes it. it's right that's right it's a public work so you know block bitcoin is a public work and um uh there's how do you get everyone on the globe to have uh or to maintain a global ledger that's verifiably honest well follow steps abc over here in the Bitcoin white paper, and um, this is how everyone can know that nobody's cheating, and there's um, uh, decentralized, which is basically you know, crowd participation, yeah. um, and everybody can participate in a different way. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, obviously, from the average user's point of view, you just want uh, there, there's a period of where the, I mean, it's quite complex when you start bringing in the speculative prices of Bitcoin and it's kind of so um, volatile. It's going up and down and quite strongly and it's very difficult for people to wrap their heads around that. And so I think the what we're seeing is, um, you know, Bitcoin is a... Um, monetary system i mean i like to think bitcoin cash when i say bitcoin i mean bitcoin cash but it's a monetary system user's point of view um the this volatility in the prices makes it very difficult for people to really kind of comprehend what's happening and so what is happening is that you've got a currency that is new and it's now coming along to a a, a world where there are already existing currencies and the, the existing national currencies, uh, you know, b before Bitcoin exists, they're, they're 100% of market share. You know, the, the US dollar and the yen and the euro and the, and the um, you know, renminbi, all of these uh, monies are making up the money of the world. Yeah. And so 
in, this is 100% of what everybody's doing when, when you're talking money. And then Bitcoin comes along and it's competing um, as with zero percent share and so as you come along and introduce a, a competitor and normally there's no space for a competitor in this market because um it's a controlled kind of uh it's um, a monopoly it's yeah it's a controlled mon- yeah monopolized in certain sections but each each government can monopolize its own currency like that so bitcoin comes along and suddenly it's offering making an offering in an environment where which is kind of all of the world's economic output we can think of i like think of that as mount everest yeah. and bitcoin comes along like a teacup next to the mount everest to try to offer something and of course the teacup quickly fills people jump off the mountain and into the teacup because it's delivering some honesty and some features yeah. and that are special to bitcoin about no counterparty risk you know you're not you don't have to trust the third party and um and you know your unit is not going to be diluted so there's people want that so they jump in the teacup and now the teacup is a bowl and and in this shift from going from a teacup to a bowl the the price uh relative to the the mount everest monies uh goes up a lot in and it looks like the bitcoin value goes up a lot and then and 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 i guess there's kind of like more and more of these um groups of pools of money are jumping off Mount Everest and then they're going into the bowl and then the bowl is becoming a pond and then the pond is becoming a lake and then the lake is becoming an ocean. And so in each of these shifts, there is it's, it's a big splash when people jump off Mount Everest into this Bitcoin pool and it causes waves and splashes. And then... You know, there's a character to this kind of growth, but underlying it all is the demand for verifiably honest, yeah, um, uh, ledger where in an ever increasing no counterparty risk, yeah. corrupt economy, yeah, in an ever increasing uh, yeah banking system that is expensive, and um, you know people talk about the cost of Bitcoin mining and the energy cost, and it's like, um, what about the corruption cost of third parties managing? Um, the the money supply because that is like you know ten thousand times more damaging and inefficient because it is a great enslavement of mining. humanity. Debt is almost like it's almost like death. It's like you're being bound to this loan that you're borrowing from the bank. Yeah, that you have to pay this interest, and if you don't, yeah, you're gone. Well, um, when in terms of the the way the governments do it, you know, they're selling bonds and they're putting all the people underneath into some kind of uh, obligation to pay that back by you know essentially diluting the purchasing power of the national unit of account so um yeah why you want to get out of that system you don't want to get diluted diluted every day and the dilution is fast so you know you work 10 years and five years you know uh, between the prices of things going up and the um it's you losing, you know. I think fifty percent every decade if you're just staying in in a falling currency um, over the decades. And of course, there are times where there's you know waves up and down. But yeah, you go and look at the gold price of any national currency, and 
over the decades, you just watch that go down and down and go down and down and down. And that is your labor. That's the sweat that you've made that is essentially getting stripped from you, you know, unless you think your government is spending every cent of that debt that it's getting you into, you know, yeah, brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, Well, wherever you see waste, that waste is getting paid by you and it's getting paid by you quite heavily. And so, um, yeah, where is your return on investment in the, in the government spending? And if you don't see it or if it's even negative, because I think that they put us into debt and they use the money to make things, um, uh, make a lot of mis- mistakes and, or, or um, uh, terrible things against us. So, um, yeah, yeah you, I think people really need solutions and I think... Um, gold and silver and uh bitcoin and well because it's also at this point there's also the aspect as governments are becoming increasingly fascistic and restrictive they're also they can freeze people's bank accounts they can decide who gets what they can they can steal your money like the bank yep if the bank goes goes under uh they can Yep. It's called a bail-in. They take your money to pay their own. Can happen, uh, exactly. Can have bail-ins, bail-out. You can dilute. You can just have straight taking. Uh, when a third party, when you're trusting a third party to hold your money, yeah, there's a lot of risks in that. And maybe, you know, you've obviously got to have uh, an uh, operational account because the current economy is such that there's not very wide acceptance of um, uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and uh for you know a lot of products and services so this is really the achilles heel it's about acceptance and and the revolution is going to come through people accepting it it's not through using exchanges where you exchange back yeah you need exchanges because you got to pay the 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 transition hasn't happened yet and in the meantime you got to pay bills and so you got to go back into we've got to have a, a an operational account where you're paying your bills from but ultimately um also making sure that you personally accept crypto for your products and services is the way out for everybody and and i think that it's kind of inevitable because you know on the other side of that is the stick i mean the banks are just whipping and whipping (laughs) and uh so you know there might be waves of people forgetting that they're getting whipped but uh but then the rug pull comes and then um everyone yeah and then the the third party defaults and then you realize that um yeah that you need to stay in um as much as you can uh assets where there's no counterparty risk or as yeah as little as possible now more than ever now more than ever yeah it just goes on and on it will always be it will just always come out that whip yeah. of of a default and uh, or dilution and inflation of prices in the market for basic things so the um i mean i i think though that there's obviously going to be some serious changes it looks like to interest rates going up and um and so you know probably the us dollar is going to do really well for a while and become strong when everybody around the world needs to um buy us dollars i mean it's okay to get debts when you got a debt in a in a currency and that currency is getting weaker all the time 
then you know six months later great the currency you had a debt in has has gone down 30 percent. so yeah. so easy to pay that debt yeah because you know the, the the bill went down 30 percent for your for your interest payment or or capital repayment or whatever you're paying back but when it's the other way when it's gone up 30 percent, so and the interest rate went up so not only did your interest rate go up but you also have to pay convert your non-us dollars into us dollars at a higher rate now um yeah and and the whole world is doing that so um i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of deflation and inflation happening at the same time in different pockets and um yeah i think but we'll see how long they can keep on they know they understand that if they keep on raising interest rates they're gonna the whole economy is just yeah well that, that might not be a problem for them but the point i think for everybody is that you have a kind of diversified basket of assets and um you know crypto gold and us dollars should probably be in it yeah yeah mm. yeah Long live Satoshi. <laughs> Thank God for Satoshi. <laughs> Thank God for Satoshi. <laughs> yeah, right. Because crypto has been in this very speculative, like greedy environment for several years now. It's kind of lost track of the original. Yeah. I mean, look, look, the, you know, when you have like FTX go down, to me, it just shows counterparty risk. You know, it's not ftx isn't a crypto issue ftx is a is a is counterparty risk issue it didn't matter what you were dealing in if you were you could be dealing in shells or whatever like ftx could be dealing in anything it's like you the thing is is that they're holding everybody's bags whatever the bags are full with whether it's crypto or anything else and so the problem is that when when other people are holding crypto or garbage or nothing yeah so it's about really the counterparty risk having your own keys and not your keys and you know not your coin and so uh, something like ftx only shows even more the value of crypto of of the good ones um uh the you know the supply limited um cryptos i i really think bitcoin and bitcoin cash and are the are the really the the most important yeah. ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and perhaps yeah. Monero and maybe Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, people just choose wisely, but you know, uh, the exchanges part of it is not the way out. The way out is accepting for yeah. your services yeah. and products, crypto, and um, so yeah, you need to be out. You, everybody needs to start accepting that's the way out when you yeah. when everyone starts accepting then we go back to a world of free banking yeah you know right now banking is terribly expensive not to mention the dilution just having account fees and having all the hurdles to climb and this and that well you know everybody can have a bank account a crypto bank account and you can have free banking this is the part of growing up with bitcoin cash <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah exactly yeah. and this is also part of growing up taking responsibility of i mean your life but also your own yeah. money and and uh, not having a f- financial guru or some dude at the bank like organizing everything for you and hoping that it's all gonna be yeah good uh later on but but really like taking responsibility of that and crypto is the, a tool that allows 
it was very easily to to actually do that yeah but yeah it's still in its little infancy state yeah so it's, it's gonna be a passionate journey yeah to, to see it evolve uh, yeah is there anything else you would like to bring up any topic that we missed or um, anything that you'd like to mention no oh finally that's pretty good mm. all right James, nice thanks. talking with you, Sam. Nice talking <laughs> with you. We talked for spoken for almost two hours. Really? Okay. Wow. Well. Yeah. One minute. One hour, forty minutes. Okay. Good. It's been really good. good You're a big inspiration. You're a really good man, and you got your heart in the right place. Thanks, Sam. Always great to to meet it's you. Good, and good to have you, you here again. And yeah. Yeah. It's great hanging out. It's great hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, brother. <laughs> Cheers, brother. <laughs> so, I guess now we go to the sauna. Let's sauna. Brilliant. Cool. Oh.